My name is Marcus. For those of you who don't know me, I'm the senior pastor here. And if you are new here or newer here, uh, I just want to say a special welcome to you. We are grateful that you're here. And uh, I would love to get a chance to meet you in person. I've met so many of you. The reality is I'm still newer here also. Our family moved here about two and a half, three months ago. So if you haven't met me yet, please come introduce yourself to me uh, after church. I'd love to, to meet you in person. But again, welcome uh, as we continue this morning in our series on Ephesians called The Grace Effect. Uh, One thing I want to tell you this morning is that I have good news for you. Good news, and that is the gospel. And we're going to see that in the book of Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through uh, 10. But before we do that, uh, you're going to notice as we read this passage that it doesn't start off good. So you'll see what I mean. Uh, Follow along on the screen as I read Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. It says this, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy... Because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And he raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. This is the word of the Lord. Will you bow with me in prayer? Heavenly Father, we pray that this morning the words of our mouth and the meditation of our heart would be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, this morning, uh, I want you to think about this idea. Have you ever had a picture taken of you, a snapshot maybe, and you looked at it and you said, oh, that's not good. Take another one. Has that ever happened to anybody? Uh, I think we probably see this most often on on this thing called driver's licenses, right? I don't think I've ever met anybody who said, hey, you got to see my driver's license photo. It's great. Uh, Let me show you mine here. Definitely not saying that about that ugly guy up there, okay? (laughs) Looks like a mugshot. Um... But, uh, and, you know, a lot of times when you get a picture like this, you say, well, that's not really what I look like. Let me show you, you know, let me show you a different picture. Uh, in fact, we have this whole thing called social media where we try to put up pictures that we want people to see, right? That the way we want them to see us. There's this whole thing you can find online, another thing of pictures that don't look quite right. Uh, and that would be these awkward family portraits. Um, <laughs> and this, uh, you know, when you take these pictures like this, that you're probably thinking, what, what exactly were they thinking? They don't look quite right. Um, but you all know this feeling, right? Where you have a picture of yourself that somebody took or you see it somewhere. Maybe it was a school picture when you were a kid and you say, that's just, that doesn't look like me. So here's the other solution. We had a friend who uh, sent us a Christmas card this year. Have you ever noticed how everyone on their Christmas card looks absolutely perfect? So, you know, uh, so we have this one, this one friend, uh, these families, Josh and Jenny, who sent us this, this Christmas card. And I love it. It's the perfect pictures, but their card says, our real life looks nothing like this, <laughs> which is exactly true, right? Um, 
But it does point out something really interesting. Uh, we want to put a picture of ourselves out there that we want people to see, don't we? And, uh, and we don't like those ugly snapshots. We want the beautiful ones that look perfect. But the question is, is that really an accurate picture? Is that really an accurate picture? And what we see here in, uh, in Ephesians chapter 2 is that Paul gives us a snapshot of what people are actually like. And in the first three verses, we see that this is not a pretty picture. In fact, it's a terrible looking picture. And you might say, well, yeah, but that's not really accurate. It doesn't describe me. Well, the reality is it actually is an accurate snapshot of who we are apart from Jesus Christ. And so we want to dig into that a little bit, but don't lose hope as we get into this part in the first few verses, because Paul is not only giving us a snapshot of who we are apart from Christ, he's also painting a picture of who we become in Christ. And so that's what we want to look at this morning, is this idea of how God's generous grace changes everything. God's grace changes everything. And so um, if you'll look with me uh, at these first couple of verses in chapter 2, we, what we see here, and you see this in your bulletin, is that we have a problem, a problem that it comes up in these first three verses. And the problem is it's this snapshot of us that we look at and we say, that doesn't look good at all. In fact, I don't like it. And uh, what is it? I, you could call this the bad news if you want to. There's bad news about human beings. And that the problem is the human condition. So how many humans do I have out in the audience this morning? Okay, 100%. Okay, we're all humans. And so I want to talk a little bit about what Scripture says about our condition apart from God and why we need to have a relationship with God. You know, what's interesting is uh, chapter 2 starts where it says, As for you, you are dead in your trespasses and sins. This is a huge contrast with what we've been talking about the other two weeks. Uh, in chapter 1, we were talking about the amazing person of Jesus Christ, how he is full of power, worthy of glory. Uh, and it says, um, he is the fullness of him who fills all in all. Jesus Christ is amazing. Very next verse, not so much y'all, okay? The rest of you were dead in, the tres- in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked. So the problem is the human condition. And um, it's really interesting to me the way that Paul words this. He says, dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. So there are kind of three things about this problem. The first one is that you're dead. Well, what does that mean? It says, in your trespasses and sins. Those are two really interesting words. A trespass would be when you say, uh, I'm going to go on someone else's property. Or I'm going to, there's a line right there and I'm going to step across that line. I'm going to choose to do something that I know is wrong or illegal or or." You know, it's going to have bad consequences. And so God says, if you're doing those kind of things, you're dead. You're dead. Um, and so you might say, okay, well, I've never intentionally done anything wrong. I might want to argue with you about that. <laughs> but you could say that. Uh, but that brings up the other word, this word sin, your trespasses and sins. And when we look at that word sins, uh, really that's a word that means uh, missing the mark or falling short. In other words, uh, uh Trespasses might be something you intentionally do wrong. Sins, uh, missing the mark, might be something that you neglect to do that you're supposed to do. And so uh, the idea there is God says, I have a, a perfect standard. I'm a perfect God. I have no flaws, no sins whatsoever. And if you want to have a relationship with me, you also must be perfect. Oh, wait a minute. You've got this thing called sins, which means that you have missed the mark. You know, if you're going you're gonna to throw a rock... And hit a target, God says, you as humans miss it every single time. Every single time you will miss the target. 
And as a result, he says, we are dead in our trespasses and sins. Another verse, I don't have it on the screen, but uh, Isaiah 59 verse 2 talks about this, this idea how sin separates us from God. And we are dead, separated from him. It says, your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God. Your sins have hidden his face from you. So we are dead in our trespasses and sins. Romans 6.23 says, the wages of sin is death. So, you know, you might think about it, and uh, with this picture, you might say, well, yeah, I mean, I know I'm flawed. I'm not quite good enough, but I'm almost good enough, right? Well, I think this picture of death that Paul gives us, it's, I mean, think about a cemetery. There's no almost dead people in a cemetery, are there? It's, it's you're dead or you're alive. And, and Paul says, you are dead, you are separated from God because of your sins. It's final. It's hopeless. It's hopeless. Um, and, and you might be sitting here this morning uh, and say, well, I don't feel dead. In fact, I, I'm breathing. I can feel my pulse. Uh, I can talk to people. I'm not actually dead. And, and I think that's what this whole idea of what, what Isaiah said in chapter 59 is that it's almost like a living death if you're apart from God. Uh, you can't truly experience life the way it was created to be experienced. And you are separated from God. We were created to have a relationship with God and and. Paul tells us that sin separates us from that. Well, you probably are saying, well, I don't really like this picture so far. Well, hold on. It actually gets worse, okay? Uh, The problem, this human condition is that not only are we dead, but Paul tells us we are also enslaved. We are slaves. Slaves to sin. Um, You know, this is really interesting. Uh, If you think about it in life, who is your master? Well, According to scripture, apart from God, our master is sin. And you read these verses in chapter 2. It says, these, way, these sins in which you once walked, you followed the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived. God says you are enslaved. And when it talks about this idea of you're following the path of the devil, basically, you know, a lot of times when we think about this idea of following, we think, oh, it's kind of like following the leader. We're on a nice little... Uh, hike through the woods, you know, I'm following this person in front of me, but make no mistake, when God says we are following the prince of the power of the air, the devil, uh, it's a path that leads to death. It's a path that leads to death. And so many times we think, no, I'm, this doesn't feel like death. It feels like it's great. But God says, these things that you're doing will lead you to death. You're walking in these sins as slaves. It makes you dead. You think about that idea, it says you're following along. Think about the idea of how a slave had to follow its master. Uh, You know, in the ancient world, slavery was common. And if you really think about it, the people in the ancient world, if they thought about, now who has a hopeless existence? I'm sure any free person would say, well, thank goodness I'm not a slave. That is the last person I'd want to be. That would be hopeless. You got no control over your life. You're at the mercy of your master. Uh, It's not a good place to be. And Paul says... Apart from Christ, that's what you are. You are enslaved to sin. You have a master that's going to destroy you. Do you like this picture so far? Not much. It's hopeless. It's hopeless. So we see that the problem of the human condition is that we're dead, we're enslaved. And the last thing, this is the worst thing, is we are condemned. We are condemned. And 
And this idea of being condemned is, uh, we see it says that you are children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Uh, what does it mean when it says children of wrath? Now, if we think about the idea of wrath, when we talk about the wrath of Marcus or the wrath of a human being, usually that means somebody who explodes into anger, right? It's unpredictable. This idea of, of wrath is something that you can't control. You don't want to know somebody who's prone to, to being wrathful. But God's wrath is different. Because God's wrath is an expression of his justice. And it's never just an angry, violent outburst. God's wrath is just. It's the punishment that sin deserves. And God says, apart from Christ, you are children of wrath. You are deserving of God's wrath. That's a scary thought. You know, the verdict is in and you are guilty. You are guilty. All of you are guilty, Scripture says. Uh, verse 3, look at how many times it says, it says, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and, and mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. So this picture is not pretty, and the fact is, is that it says it's a guilty verdict on all humans, every single one of us in this room, every single one of us in this room. And this is not a thought that's new to Paul. This is something that Scripture taught Old Testament, New Testament. Uh, let me let me give you just a couple of verses that this is a, a theme that God had to tell his people over and over again since the beginning of time. In the book of Psalms, uh, in the book of Psalms, verse uh, chapter 14 and verse 3, and then this is quoted again later in the book of Psalms, but it says this, they have all turned aside, together they have become corrupt. There is none who does good, not even one. All of them are guilty. That's the message of Psalms. Isaiah 53, verse 6. This is a verse you may have heard before. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned each of us to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Uh, That word all is there again. We are all guilty. And then back into the New Testament, Romans 3, 23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. See, we got a real problem on our hands. We are dead, we are slaves, and we are condemned to death. It's not a pretty picture. It's not a pretty picture, and I think it is important for every one of us to realize that apart from Christ, this is a picture of us. It's a picture of us. It's one of those pictures you want to rip off the wall and throw in the trash and say, I don't want anybody to see that picture. But the reality is Paul shows it to us for a reason, to say... This is why you need Jesus. This is why you need grace. And I love when we come to verse 4, in light of that picture, I love the first two verses of verse 4. It says this, but God, let's just stop right there. Because apart from God, you see the picture of who we are. It's not a good one. But it says in these verses, but God changes things. But God changes gives us his grace. You know, there's a lot of stories in scripture that uh, are, are statements in scripture that talk about things and problems that people are having, having. But then I love it. You could do a study in scripture on this phrase right here or phrases like this that say, but God or but then God remembered or then God acted. And that's exactly what's happening in this passage. It says, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us saved us. He saved us. 
And so we have the problem, which is the bad news, but we have the solution, which is the good news. You know, we call this the gospel. The gospel. Gospel literally means good news, and uh, it actually means more than just good news. If we were going to say, uh, I'm going to give you the gospel right now, uh, it's not just, let me tell you some good news. It's more of a, a proclamation, an authoritative announcement that everyone needs to hear. And brothers and sisters, I think this is an easy thing for us to do. It's say, oh, I've already heard that news. I don't, I don't need to hear it again. Um, but guess what? This is a message. This is an announcement that you need to listen to and pay attention to as many times as you hear it. Because the news was so bad that it was hopeless. But because of Jesus, we have grace and hope and a future with him. So the good news, the solution, is God's grace. God's grace. If there's one book that sums up the book of Ephesians, one word that sums up the book of Ephesians, it's grace. If there's one word that sums up the New Testament, it's grace. If there's one word that sums up the New and Old Testament together, it's grace. God says, I give you grace. That is the only solution to your problems. As we saw last week, God says, I want you to experience this grace. I don't just want you to know about this grace in your head. Know about what I can do for you or know about what I did do for you. I want you to accept this grace. I want you to experience it because guess what? Grace changes everything. The grace that God gives us has an effect on every single area of your life. Uh, it says this twice in our passage today. Verse 4, it says, by grace you have been saved. And then again, down in verse 8, for by grace you have been saved through faith. So don't miss that point. God says, my grace is the solution. It's the good news that cures this problem. It's the only thing that can cure the problem of your sin. And I want you to experience that grace. We have this definition of grace we've kind of talked about a little bit. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to quote this definition one more time and then really... Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10, especially here 4 through 10, give us a definition of grace that I think is as clear as anywhere in Scripture. But uh, you see the definition we have here. It says it's the kindness of God toward undeserving people. So you realize that God is the one who's giving it. And who is he giving it to? Uh, to us who have a problem. Uh, we also see this definition, it's called God's unmerited favor. In other words, it cannot be earned. There's nothing you can do to earn this thing called grace. Well, what are we talking about here? Just in case you haven't gotten this yet, I'm going to throw this up on the screen. There's a real contrast that's being drawn here. A real contrast between us and God about what we were before we knew God and what we can be after we know God. What we do and what God does. When you study scripture, it's always important to pick up on contrast because God makes really powerful points through things like this. And so the contrast between chapter one with the amazing nature of Jesus, and then we get to chapter two and we see this horrible, ugly picture of us. But then God tells us, your picture can be changed. I'm painting a new picture and it's through my grace. But look at what we say. It says in, in this passage that we contribute to the situation. It says we are dead. We're walking in trespasses and sins. We're slaves. We're condemned. We're children of wrath. I don't see anything positive on that side of the chart, do you? And, and what do we contribute? Absolutely nothing of value. Nothing. What does God bring to the table? Here are the things it says he does for us in this passage. It says he makes us alive. 
It says he raised us up with Christ. It says he seated us with him. Uh, and it says the qualities that God demonstrates in this are mercy, love, grace, kindness. So I want us to take just a couple minutes to walk through verses 4 through 9 and just look at those uh, things that God has done. Again, remember how this statement started. It said, but God. So be clear about this. These are not things that we've done. These are things that God has done for us. So these are the things that God has done with this solution that we call God's grace. It says uh, he is rich in mercy. Mercy and grace are two really important theological terms, and they're very closely related. But we said grace is God giving us what we don't deserve, right? Giving us a gift that we didn't deserve. Well, mercy is kind of the other side of that coin. It's God holding back from giving us what we do deserve. And as we saw, we are condemned, deserving of his wrath. And God says, I'm not going to give you that. I'm going to withhold my judgment. I'm going to pardon you and forgive you. Because of what Jesus Christ did for you. So that's what mercy is. It says his great love. His great love. If you want to do an interesting study on the book of Psalms. Read through Psalms. And and just look and, and relish the deep love that is described for you there. The love of God towards his people. The loyal love. The steadfast love. If you have King James it probably says loving kindness. God's love is a theme from Genesis to Revelation. And God says it's most clearly demonstrated for you. Through the work of Jesus Christ. When God himself died in your place. So his great love with which he loved us. Uh, here's another phrase in here. Uh, uh, it says in verse 5. Even when we were dead in our trespasses. That's when he made us alive in Christ. Uh, so just in case you were wondering. It wasn't as soon as you got a little bit better. Or as soon as you earned it. He says you were still dead. And that's when he made you alive. This reminds me of uh, Romans 5 eight. It says God demonstrates his love toward us. And that while we were yet sinners. Christ died for us. He didn't wait until we cleaned up our act a little bit. He died for us when we were as dirty as we could be. When our portrait looked as bad as it could. He said that's the one I want. That's the one I want to die for. And so we see when we were dead, he made us alive. What we, here's another interesting observation. In chapter one, uh, Paul talked about that, how God's great and mighty power, when Jesus was dead, raised him from the dead. And that's the kind of power he wants to demonstrate to us. Well, guess what? Chapter two kind of does the same thing. It says, you were dead, but through the mighty power of God, you have been raised from the dead. So just like Jesus was dead and God raised him from the dead, Paul says, God knows that you are dead, but he wants to raise you from the dead through faith in Jesus Christ. He was faithful to Christ. He will be faithful to you. And it talks about his immeasurable riches of grace. This would be the the third week in a row we've mentioned the riches that God gives us. The riches of grace are all these benefits of him. And then the idea of kindness. The idea of kindness that he shows to us. You know, this goes back again to, I think, the God that we see represented in the Old Testament. Uh, Exodus chapter 34, God introduced himself to his people and he says, I want you to know me. My name is Yahweh. My name is the Lord, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He says, the very first thing I want you to know about me is that I'm merciful. I'm full of grace. I'm slow to anger and I'm abounding in steadfast love. It kind of looks like that list of things we just saw here in Ephesians chapter four, doesn't it? So God most clearly demonstrates his love for us through what Jesus Christ did. 
you know, if you look at verses 8 and 9, these are some, I think this is maybe one of the most clear expressions of the gospel in all of Scripture. It says, For by grace you are saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God. In verse 9, in case you weren't clear, it's not as a result of work so that no one can boast. It's an amazing thing is that, again, you can do nothing to earn a relationship with God. You can do nothing to have your sins forgiven. You can never be good enough. Scripture here says you can do absolutely nothing. It's not by your works. It's only by God's gift to you that you can be healed. So how do you take advantage of this healing? How do you take advantage of this healing? You can do nothing. God has already done everything. Well, how do I get that? I want to show you a slide from December. We had this series in December as we were talking about why Jesus Christ had to come as a child. Uh, I don't know if any of you remember this yet this morning or not, but it's funny. We actually had the same outline that week. Uh, look at this. It was from Isaiah chapter 9, verse 1. We had a problem and we had a solution. The problem was darkness, which is the human condition, what we've been talking about this morning. And we have a solution. In Isaiah, God says, I'm going to send a child. The, the person Jesus. And, he, and through this child, God's grace will come to you. Isn't it amazing that the gospel was already present in the Old Testament, but we see it expressed and fulfilled in the New Testament? So you're saying, well, that was easy, Marcus. You're just copying your outline from a month ago. You didn't even have to prepare a new sermon. Well, guess what? God likes to say this message over and over and over again. You can't save yourself. There is nothing you can do to save yourself. It's only through my grace, which I demonstrate through Jesus Christ. That's the message this morning. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that it's not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, so that no one can boast. The problem is the human condition. We're all human. The solution is God's grace. And how do we receive that grace? Acts 16, Paul was talking to a person in the city of Philippi, a jailer. And, he, and, this, and this man came to Paul and said, what must I do to be saved? Acts 16.31, Paul says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. And so that's the invitation this morning is to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, to have faith in him and you will be saved. What does that mean? That means that you trust him alone, that you depend on him alone. You don't depend on yourself. You don't depend on your parents' faith. You don't depend on your baptism or your church that you went to. You don't depend on anything except Jesus Christ to be the one who gives you eternal life and a relationship with God. He is the only one who can give you grace. If you haven't done that this morning, that's the invitation. Experience God's grace. Trust him Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. But if you have already done that, then the invitation is to continue to experience and know that grace. Continue down the path that God is leading you down. And that's the next point we want to make is that we have a problem, we have a solution. But guess what? God says, uh, the reason I'm doing that, there's a result that comes out of all this. There's a result that comes out of me saving you, that comes out of you trusting Christ. And that is what we would call a new creation. This is verse 10. It says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So we've just heard the good news, the gospel. God says, I've offered this to you by God's grace. I hope that 
many or all of you have accepted that, that you've trusted Christ alone. But God says, I've saved you from sin and I've saved you just the way you are. You didn't have to do anything. You didn't have to change anything for me to save you. But I love you too much to leave you the way you are. He says, I want to create a new creation, a new person. Uh, once you know, once you know Jesus, once you've experienced his grace, everything changes. And what does that look like? You know, we began the, this passage talking about verse one, you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Well, if you've experienced grace in those verses in between, we get down to verse 10 and it says, now you are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared in beforehand that we should walk in them. So before you were walking in trespasses and sins, now you are walking in the good works that God has created for you to do. One thing I also love about this verse, it says you are God's workmanship. There's a couple of things I want to point out to you. A, a more literal translation of this verse would be, it would actually kind of sound a little bit like Yoda in the movie Star Wars, okay? It says, his workmanship you are, okay? In other words, don't forget who you belong to. If Jesus has done this for you, the, the thing that's really emphasized there is that his workmanship you are. You have become his workmanship. So his is probably the most important word there. Uh, so the other thing I want to emphasize, though, is this idea of his workmanship. What is a workmanship? Some translations say handiwork. You are his handiwork. Uh, another translation says uh, masterpiece. And I think that probably most accurately uh, captures what it is that, that he's saying. God says, if I have saved you, if you've experienced the grace of God through Jesus Christ, I am creating you into a masterpiece. That ugly picture I showed you at the beginning of Ephesians 2, I am transforming that into a beautiful painting, a work of art that will last forever. God is in the business of creating a masterpiece. And you could say this church is his masterpiece. He's creating a masterpiece here. And guess what? He's creating a bunch of other masterpieces within this body. Your life, he wants to turn into a masterpiece. You know, there are a lot of, uh, again, to the world of art, there's a lot of well-known masterpieces. In fact, I just Googled what are the, the most well-known paintings. And some of these, I've got two of them here I want to show you. Some One you'll probably recognize, and, and the other one I'm not so sure. So this first one, actually, uh, first this verse uh, is 2 Corinthians 5.17. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, the new has come. But let me show you a couple pictures of masterpieces that uh, have come up in the art world. Does anybody know what this is? Starry Night by Vincent Van Gogh. Now, the fact that about 80% of you knew the name says that you know it's a masterpiece. It's well-known. People know what, what Vincent Van Gogh created. What about this one? Mona Lisa. All of you knew the name of that masterpiece. Well, guess what? God says, like a master artist, like a master craftsman, I saved you so that I can create a masterpiece that will be remembered forever. Remembered by God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. He wants to form you into a masterpiece. Remember those bad portraits that we talked about at the beginning. Think about what you look like apart from Christ. It's a terrible picture. Horrible. And God says, I want to replace that with a painting, with a masterpiece of doing good works. And what does that look like? We're actually going to talk about that in the weeks ahead. Um, God's prepared good deeds for us to do in order that we should serve him. You know, 
I think we have to realize, though, is that God says, I'm not saving you because you've done good works. Again, just to emphasize that one more time, he says, I'm saving you so that you can do good works. We were created in the image of God, and we're unable to fulfill that image unless we've been saved by God's grace. God wants to replace those ugly portraits with a beautiful, masterful, completed picture. One more thing I want to show you this morning, um, just to kind of help us understand, I think, what God's trying to do. Now, a few of you watched a game on Monday night, right? A few of you saw LSU win the national championship uh, in college football. And if you think about it, uh, back in August, I think it was probably August, the, the university, Louisiana State University, LSU, released their roster. They said, these are all the people that made the team. And what an accomplishment. There's a, there's a pretty impressive list of athletes, right, uh, that made that team. And they earned their spot on that roster. And how much sense would it have made for them to say, okay, great, I'm on the roster. Mission accomplished. Let's kick back and watch football. Um, you, we wouldn't have celebrated the national championship on Monday night, would we have? No, they had to go out and accomplish uh, this amazing thing. In fact, many people have said that Coach O created a masterpiece this year. He created, a, he coached a season that can never be duplicated. It was a great season. Um, but much more than that, uh, we want to talk about the masterpiece that God is creating with us. You see, it's a little bit different than what we said. In, in football, these guys had to earn a spot on the roster. Well, how do we earn our spot on God's roster? We can't. <laughs> we cannot earn a spot. But God says, I will give you one freely by grace. And so God says, accept your spot on the team. You are on my team. You're a part of my family. All this adoption language, you are a part of my family. And so we could say, wow, that's great, God. I'm on the roster. I'm in. That's good. Let me just kind of sit back on the bench and go to church and enjoy worship. And that'll be all I do till you return or till I go to heaven. And God says, not so fast. I saved you. So that I could create a masterpiece for you. Remember we had this uh, tweaked logo. This idea that God says I have saved you so that you can demonstrate my grace to other people. That's what these good works are. Is overflowing with God's grace, his love, his compassion, his mercy in word and deed to the people around you. And so I would encourage you just because you've been saved, just because God has welcomed you into his family. Don't think that that's the end of the story. That's just the beginning of the story. And God says, you're on my team. You're in my family. I want to create a masterpiece. Now work with me to do that. To do that, Walk with me, and we will do great things together. Let's bow for a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this uh, morning. We thank you for your word. God, I pray that these words would not fall to the ground, but that we would... Uh, put into practice the things you've reminded us of this morning. Thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, and the grace that you demonstrated through him. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.